Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. In this episode of the Social Ideas Podcast, we hear again from two graduates and a current student of our Masters in Social Innovation. I'll let them introduce themselves. So hi, my name is Va. I'm originally from the United States, but I'm currently working in Laos uh, in the international development space. I'm starting to develop a project to look at how we empower women, uh, focusing on increasing gender equality. Also really passionate about thinking about how businesses can be used as a vehicle for social innovation. Hi, I'm Chris, uh, currently based in Melbourne, so currently research student at Cambridge. So my interest is in how do vulnerable people overcome loneliness or how does loneliness affect vulnerable people? I am the founder of a nonprofit. We work in the mental health space. Currently writing a book with some other Cambridge students on social connection and a TEDx speaker as well. Um, I did a project where I met 100 strangers for coffee in 100 weeks, and that kind of led me to a lot of this work. Hi everyone, my name is Jerry. I graduated from the Masters of Social Innovation program at Cambridge Judge Business School. I spent the first five years working in the, in the international development sector before moving into corporate philanthropy, where I'm currently working for a tech company, looking at how can we, as a company, be useful to the society. I asked Far, Jerry and Chris if there's any tension between their Western University education and the development socially innovative spaces they work in. I think, honestly, I think that it's the, the teaching at Cambridge and the discussions have been very, um, I would say they've been very broad and very fair in this in this area as well. I think there's a lot of acknowledgement that there is a Western perspective. It's been brought up in many classes and many of my cohort, are, uh, you know, it's a very diverse cohort culturally as well. So, and people working in very different, different spaces. And I met lots of very interesting people doing amazing things around the world. So that would be the first thing that I would say. But I think that the, the team at Cambridge are also very aware of, you know, this Western perspective and they're also very good at bringing forward other perspectives as well and asking us to challenge some of those perspectives. I think another thing about the Cambridge education that, that's very different to any previous education that I've had is that it does teach you to be critical. I think that it does teach you to take a look at different frameworks that might be considered best practice in inverted commas and kind of challenge those and kind of say, well, maybe there are better ways of doing that. Maybe there are other ways we can do that and looking at different sides of of, of things. So I think that's one thing I would say about Cambridge is that whilst yes, I, of course, I acknowledge that it may be viewed as, you know, it, it obviously is a Western education and, and very, um, you know, in a very old university and, and everything as well. But I think that there is, you know, I would say the teaching there has challenged a lot of, yeah, a lot of my thoughts process about this area and also yeah, how, how to create change and how, you know, how training change can be possible in, in this space as well. I don't feel a particular tension with my education versus what I'm doing um, Cambridge per se. I 100% I agree with Chris that I think the literature and the research and the thinking and the funding, in particular the funding, which very much influences the thinking and the research or speaking of empower, power imbalances, is coming from the West. And I think that then influences how we frame thinking about development or social innovation, what is good social innovation. But I don't personally feel attention my education because I feel like the greatest thing I took from my Cambridge education is to look at something written beautifully by someone who's highly intelligent and to say, what do I think about this? Given my positionality, given my experiences, 
do I agree or disagree? And, and then taking that, right, and like back into the workplace and saying, well, this is how this space works. But what do I think about it? Do I think it's good? Do I think it's bad? How do I think it can be done differently? And so, yeah, I don't feel tension. I actually feel like it's helped me to be more critical and more open-minded and therefore more innovative in terms of how I think about creating change. Of course, that means that sometimes if my ideas are a little bit too different from the industry that I'm in, um, there's a lot of advocacy and education and helping to reframe that conversation, which is a different question altogether. Um, but in, just in terms of my education and how I work, I think it's actually been helpful and I don't feel tension. The tension that I feel, I think, is primarily because I'm, I'm exposed to different perspectives from the course. So people come in from um, different parts of the world, bring their own experiences and share it in class. It sort of challenges me uh, in my own way of thinking. And I think it's because of these exposure that resulted in saying, okay, should I be thinking differently in what I do currently? And what implications would that be? So it's maybe not necessarily a Western versus Eastern kind of tension, but maybe a different set of ideas that got discussed in class and got me thinking about it. Again, I think um, ideas are great and then it needs to be sort of adapted um, into culture within the organization, the communities that you work with, you know, the partners that you work with, and also even within um, like ideas within organization, like people come from different places. I think that needs to be discussed and, um, and often you need to sort of put an idea and try to find a major account because you all come from different places. So I think tensions are great because it sets me thinking uh, more and be more critical about the approach that I take sort of adjust accordingly, you know, in different countries and projects that are in versus um, other places. And just to add also, I think that, I mean, I agree with Var's point in relation to that. Yeah, I mean, we have to acknowledge that that most research is by a Western academic or on a Western example or from a Western university. And that, of course, you know, we talk about power imbalance. That, of course, creates a real power imbalance. I mean, I currently, you know, lecture here in, in Melbourne in an MBA program and many of the examples that, that are given throughout the course are, are from Western examples. And I think it's really important that we challenge that also and we talk about, you know, that there are lots of amazing things happening, you know, in entrepreneurship or whatever it is around the world and that we try and challenge some of these things. I mean, in an Australian context in particular, we have the longest, um, you know, the, the longest living Indigenous population in the world who have solved many of our social problems that we now talk about today. So... I think that it's very important that we acknowledge that, that academia does have that kind of, um, that challenge that it faces and it's important to be self-aware and as far said and, and look at that also when we do teach or research or, or whatever we're doing, that we always include the, the perspective of the global South or a non-Western perspective also. You've all touched upon how the Masters in Social Innovation has taught you to be critical. You've touched upon the fact that the diversity within the cohorts has given you different perspectives but how do your relationships with each other impact the work that you do well i think one of the best things at cambridge is you're surrounded by some incredibly ambitious and incredibly smart and incredibly talented people and when you put lots of those people together both from our course and from other courses i think it's a it's a great environment for you to learn and develop as a person and really challenge a lot of your thinking. So that's definitely what happened for me. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I've made lots of friends from 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 Cambridge, both from from the course and from, from external to that. And 
um, you know, looking forward to continuing those on. But I think it is just that opportunity to be, yeah, to just be surrounded by so many people that think differently. I think that that's a very powerful thing when you have that environment. It really does challenge your thinking. And I mean, I, I've le both learned and unlearned so many things um, throughout my, you know, last 18 months living living there. So, and being surrounded by those people. So from my perspective, I think it's been very powerful for me to, to learn from some great people. And I mean, as I mentioned in my introduction, I'm also working on a children's book with some Cambridge students. So that's the sort of thing that, you know, I feel like that the university has given me such opportunity to meet people who are also passionate about mental health and, you know, who aren't from this course, but they're also, you know, very, very passionate about creating social change. So that in itself has been a really like great benefit to me. And I think that's the sort of people that you do meet um, at Cambridge as well. Learning doesn't quite stop after you graduate because there's just so much knowledge within the cohort, not just within my cohort, the past cohorts or future cohorts. I think we're all being plugged into different conversations and they spring off into different groups about um, technology interest group, you have education interest group. So I think these are really um, great resources that I've, I, I'm able to tap on to look at how can I develop my work better and professionally and also site projects, weekend projects I want to work with, you know, communities um, um, uh, and, and, other, and the causes I want to champion for. So I think it's a continuous learning process for me, um, continuous engagement with um, colleagues um, around the world, and particularly like, for example, with Va, um, she's based in Laos, um, and Laos is a country that I also cover in my portfolio, and we constantly have discussion around um, issues that we can tackle, and I always tap on her, you know, expertise and presence uh, in a country to get some insights so that, you know, having somebody there and understanding the culture through somebody like Va would really help me gain broader perspective as to tailor projects um, in a way that's actually serving a community, not serving um, self-interest that way. Thank you. Chris, I do have one question. You mentioned that you lecture on an MBA program in Melbourne, but you've also been talking about your work and your research around mental health and social connections. These are two seemingly different fields What's the relationship between those and how does that work? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So, I, well, I mean, first of all, I, I did an MBA. Um, my MBA was was during my 100 Coffee project. So they're very closely linked in many ways. And, and I also have a very, um, I mean, I loved my time at RMIT University and, and, and now love working there. Also, I have a really strong connection to the university. A lot of it to do with the 100 Coffees and and. I mean, it changed my entire life and the MBA also opened my eyes up, you know, to different, I had a very narrow mindset going into that course. I was very, you know, working in sport and I was kind of very, I guess, one dimensional. And I think the MBA gave me a lot of, I met a lot of great, I had a lot of great teaching and met a lot of interesting people. And so for me, it really was kind of a springboard for me to be able to, you know, make a lot of changes with, with what I was doing in my career. So have a strong, um, definitely a strong yeah, gratitude to RMIT and, and to the people that work there as well for that. So, yeah, I think they're kind of two, they are two different things, but, you know, I see a lot of parallels in the sense of, you know, even from my own teaching philosophy is very much about creating a sense of belonging, creating a sense of community in class. I think that, you know, the traditional just lecturing and just delivering slides has completely changed and now it's students want a community and we see that from from student feedback as well is that they want to be part of a community they want to meet other students and we've just talked about the power of that within our own experiences as students so 
I think as an educator, I also am very passionate about giving students an opportunity to have a sense of belonging, build community. And it's something that, you know, myself and other academics at RMIT are working on at the moment is, you know, how, how do we create a sense of belonging with, with students? And I think it's something that the university is doing really well. So for me, whilst they are different in the sense of, you know, obviously social innovation and MBAs are not often put together, I think that I'm very lucky to work at a university that that is embedding social change and sustainability. And there's always work to be done, particularly in MBA programs and discussions you have in MBA programs. But I think that they've been very supportive of me and, and they've been a real big part of my journey to Cambridge. So I think that I have a, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So just having having the, the two together is also very powerful for me as well. So. so as we wrap up this podcast, it might sound a little daft to ask, but I will anyway. What do you perceive the future of relationships to be? So I think that relationships will become increasingly more vital to society and yet meaningful, deep relationships will become increasingly difficult in society. And I I feel that way because I do think, echoing what Chris and Jerry have said, we are built for, humans are built for community. Like we're not meant to be individuals on an island. We're all have positionality in a network and, and that sense of community, that sense of belonging is a huge part of our mental health. And yet I think the technology that is available to us through the TikToks, through the YouTubes, through the Facebook, social media in general, it allows us to build these very vast but surface connections it allows us to broadcast ourselves or to watch other people's broadcasts but that's like a watching and not an experiencing and then the AI and and what that could mean for society I just see oh and then algorithms and algorithms of the internet in terms of uh, controlling what we see and what we don't see which then controls our idea of what the world is like right I just think it's going to be harder in that landscape to build those deep meaningful relationships unless we take that intention to build the relationships and I'm not sure that that conversation is happening which is why I feel like relationships will become even more important but will be more difficult. For me I think sitting at the intersection of international development and corporate philanthropy I would want to say I'm hopeful that the power imbalance between um, the two actors will eventually narrow down um, as we look at ways to tilt the balance. Um, not say a corporate funder would dictate all the terms and conditions, but looking at NGO partner as, as an entity um, that brings value, and a lot of value, in fact, to the table. And we have are able to strive towards more equal collaboration. I think conversation around trust-based philanthropy is taking off, um, particularly in the West, but I think coming to um, the Eastern part of the world, I think many different organizations are embracing this idea. So I'm really hopeful that, you know, tilting a power balance and making it more um, collaborative, I mean, true collaboration would eventually happen um, in the future. Yeah, I think that uh, relationships, they're definitely under attack in, in multiple ways. I think that we can look at, I think social media is, is can be quite problematic, as, as Var said and, and touched on. I think that the pandemic is obviously a huge, huge factor. We're busier than maybe we were before for, for 
for whatever reason, um, and also related to, to work and, and how and how we work. And I think the relationships are, are definitely under attack. I mean, there's a lot of very good books about this, but to, to take one book, I mean, Johan Hari, who also went to Cambridge, who um, wrote the book Lost Connections, who, you know, talked about the, the average number of friends, you know, that, a, that an American had maybe 20 to 30 years ago was, was named as five, the number of close friends being someone you could turn to in a time of need. That was the definition of a close friend, and now the answer, the most common answer, is zero. So, I think that we see a lot of um, a lot of issues with with relationships and friendships. And there's been a really good study recently by the Red Cross, which is talking about the impact of the pandemic. And a large number of people, over thirty percent of people who experienced loneliness during the pandemic, feel that they'll never reconnect with society. So, and these are quite harrowing statistics. And loneliness was already a huge issue before COVID. So we are yet to see the damage that loneliness and during the pandemic has caused society. So I think we have to be very careful with, with our, um, how, we, how we use technology and how technological advancements affect friendships and relationships. You know, for example, there's this trend at the moment and there has been over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years and beyond to really value convenience over connection. Um, an example being at the supermarket now, we don't have to talk to a human being. We can use the self-serve. We can skip the coffee line. You know, we don't even have to wait for a coffee anymore. We can use an app to kind of skip the line. And these are things that are giving us more convenience. And, and during our busy lives, we, we see that as really valuable, right? That we don't have to kind of wait. We can, you know, uh, catch the train a little bit later or, or we, we get five minutes more at the office. But actually, all of those are at the expense of a human connection. And so whilst it might not seem important that we have that conversation with the barista or with the person working at the supermarket, these conversations are actually critical. And these are ones that can really change our lives. So, you know, the power of these insignificant, as I call them in inverted commas, interactions is actually something that is so, so crucial. So I think that a lot of a lot of what we're seeing with, with friendship and with relationships is that they are under attack and that people may be um, perhaps are valuing them less and maybe don't know how to kind of build on them. So I think really a self-awareness that friendship is, is critical. Um, it's very important. And that we focus a lot on the, the power of intimate partnership being a measure of success, but that actually we should also say, well, actually friendship is, is very important also. And, and having, and having good friends and having friends that we can turn to in a time of need is also critical. And, you know, if not more critical sometimes than, than that intimate partnership. I mean, Vivek Murphy, who wrote the book together talks about that we need three different types of, of connection. One of them being intimate partnership, one of them being friendship and one of them being community. And I think that, we have kind of forgotten two of those a little bit. We, we focus a lot on intimate partnership and we've started to talk about community again a little bit and how we find that. But we also need to think about, you know, having those three layers of, of, of connection and friendship in order to really keep our mental health um, in a good place, but also to keep things moving as communities and, and to do some of the work that we've been talking about on, on, the, on this podcast as well. So I think also really important in this conversation as we're talking about social innovation and development is that relationships can sometimes be a way that people in poor places cope. The, the nature of helping each other and owing each other little favors, right? Like I'm sick and you help me chop wood and next time you're sick, I help you chop wood, right? Like something like that, or I borrow you some money because your child is sick and you're going to the hospital in the future, you'll return a, a different favor to me um, and it becomes this way of coping but it also then builds the culture of the place right and as as we look at how 
society, the world is changing, how technology is changing the world, how ideas of individualism, the ideas of what it means to be successful begin to filter into cultures that have been historically very, very collectivist. Just thinking through what does it mean for this culture to change and what does it mean then for the people who rely on relationships as a coping mechanism. That was Va Yang, Chris Hope and Jerry Ong. You can find out more about our Masters in Social Innovation by following the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.